Good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. As we are finishing up this series called The Scarlet Thread, just reminding you that the Bible is made of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over the course of thousands of years, yet it is one unified story orchestrated by God who supernaturally has placed every detail in that book, in those books, for a reason. Now, Jesus was not God's backup plan. Jesus was the plan from the very beginning at the start of creation. And God has woven Jesus, the scarlet thread, throughout his word, throughout the story of God. Now, God is the conductor of this whole thing, actively seeing his plan take place in the world today. And we, people like me, seemingly can mess up that plan, but... God's plan of redemption for the world is always what prevails this story of Jesus. Even though he allows people like me, messed up people, to be involved in his plan. Now we've been looking at snapshots of Jesus in the Old Testament, our scarlet thread. And now today we're going to look at the scarlet thread himself, at Jesus today. Look at him, uh, God among us, God himself, who finally arrives in flesh and blood onto this earth. The Bible told us he would be born in Bethlehem. That was a prophecy. And he was born in Bethlehem, just as predicted. The Bible told us he would be born of a virgin. And as predicted, it's predicted in Isaiah. That's one of the places, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. James will put it on the screen for us. It says, all right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in flesh walking among us. That's what it means. And that's what happened just as it was predicted. Now the scarlet thread, Jesus the Messiah was predicted even way back at creation. We talked about that at week one, Genesis chapter three. We know that's the story of creation and Adam and Eve were created, placed into a perfect world, a perfect garden. And even they were perfect at that point. They were sinless, but they had free choice and they chose sin. And from that point on, God begins to unfold his story about how he is going to redeem the world. And you know what he tells us in Genesis chapter 3? He says it's going to happen. He's going to send the Messiah through the seed of a woman. That's an, that's an Old Testament, old way of saying he was going to be born from a virgin. Wow. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God says Jesus will be born of a virgin. Now, the virgin birth. I mean, what... What a strange way to save the world. So I've got a question for you. Why was Jesus born of a virgin? I mean, one answer, of course, is yes, to fulfill prophecies like the one I just read to you and the one in Genesis chapter 3. That's one reason, to fulfill prophecies. But, but why was it necessary for God to even prophesy that Jesus would be born of a virgin? Why why be born of a virgin in the first place? Now, there are many profound, true theological reasons of why that would need to happen. But today, today I'm going to give you one of those reasons. 
one of those reasons today. And there is a good chance that what we're talking about today, it has been in the Bible the whole time you have owned one, but there's a good chance that you didn't know what we're going to be talking about today was in the Bible. And I'm so excited that we get to teach it to you today. This is one of the most significant reasons of why Jesus had to be born from a virgin. So let me give you the background as we get started. Here's the background. God operated this way. He would give us a prophecy, which was a prediction. And then he would give that through a prophet and then it would happen. And it was God saying, see, that was me. That was me. I did that. I told you it would happen and it happened just like I said it would happen. That was a prophecy. One of the prophecies that God gave us in the Old Testament is that the Messiah, who is Jesus, he would be born from the nation of Israel. And then he gets more specific later, and he says, not just from the nation of Israel, but it'll be from one of the 12 tribes who makes up the nation, but he gave us the specific tribe he would be born from. He said he will be born from the tribe of Judah. He tells us that in Genesis 49, chapter 49, verse 10, from the tribe of Judah. And then he gives us even more detail, and he says, not just from the tribe of Judah, but from the bloodline of one specific person in that tribe, from the bloodline of David. And yes, if that sounds familiar, yes, it's David and Goliath, the, the, the boy who killed the giant with the five smooth stones, him. He later became king of Israel. Yes, David. And he said, the Messiah will come from his bloodline, from the bloodline of David. Very cool. So David did end up being king, as God even said he would. That was one of the predictions, too, that came true. He became king. But here's the problem. Most of, not all, but most of the kings in David's bloodline that followed David, most of them were dismal failures. Very few exceptions to that. I mean, it seemed like it went from bad to worse. It just got horrible until, until we come to this guy named Jeconiah, also called Jehoiakim. Same guy, Jeconiah, also called Jehoiakim. And he was a bloodline relative and a king in Israel. Uh, so it, was, it went from bad to worse until we got to him. And then, then it got absolutely horrible because he was really bad. So bad that God ended the kingship with Jehoiakim. It was bad. In fact, God pronounces a bloodline curse on Jehoiakim and any of his relatives that would follow. That's bad. If God gives you a bloodline curse starting with you and says the rest of your descendants, this, here's how God worded it. We're going to put it on the screen. Jeremiah 22, verse 30. This is what the Lord says. Let the record show that this man, Jehoiakim, was childless. Now, Jehoiakim was not childless. He had many children. But here's what God is saying. It's going to be as if you have no children. And here's why. Keep reading. He is a failure for none of his children will succeed him on the throne of David to rule over Judah. He said, Jehoiakim, it ends with you, bro. None of your kids, none of them 
none of your relatives. If they have your DNA, your blood, they're not going to rule. Now, this is a problem. Because God, one of the predictions was that the Messiah would rule over Israel. And God just said, none of your bloodline, Jehoiakim, is going to rule. None of them. This is a problem. Now, one of my mentors, he imagines this scenario, and here's what he imagines. He imagines the evil one hearing Jeremiah give this curse that God has given. And he imagines the evil one hearing this because the evil one knows prophecy. He knows God's word probably better than we do. He knows God's word and he knows that the Messiah that he ultimately is trying to stop and, 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 and squash, he knows the Messiah that God said he would come from the line of David, a royal a royal from David, and it all ended with Jehoiakim, with that curse. And you can just, he just said, I just imagine the evil one with his evil forces around him celebrating the problem, celebrating the fact that the Messiah cannot come through this bloodline. And then he also imagines this. He imagines God then leaning down to his angels and he says, watch this, fellas. I got this. God does something. You see, God knew the solution to this problem before there was ever a problem. And that's why way back in Genesis chapter 3 is when we get our first hint that the Messiah will be born from a virgin. God already knew what was coming. So here, here we know we began to see this answer emerged generations after the blood curse was given. And we see this solution emerge for ourselves by looking at the family tree, the genealogy of Jesus. Now, maybe you never knew this, but when you go to the New Testament where the genealogies of Jesus are listed, they're all different. And you say, different. Shouldn't they be the same? I know, right? They're different. That's weird. We're going to look at it. They're not the same. The first one is listed in the book of Matthew. We're in, in just a moment, not yet, James, but in a moment, we're going to have something on the screen for you. And because of my poor work, you can't read any of it. So I'm gonna, because it's so little, but that's okay. In just a moment, James is going to put it on there. I'll call for it in just a minute, James. The first genealogy is listed in the book of Matthew. Now, Matthew wrote down, as God told him to write, he wrote down the details of the life of Jesus. And he did it from the perspective of Matthew. Now, Matthew was an Israelite from the tribe of Levi. The Levites were priests, and they were very super, super, super Jewish, obviously. And so as Matthew wrote down the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, he did it from a very Jewish perspective. And in fact, as he describes Jesus, he describes Jesus as the Lion of Judah, which is a very Jewish, Jewish, Jewish phrase, as you would expect, expect from Levi, a Levi, a Levite here in Matthew. And that's how he describes. And now you would, as you would expect from a very devout Jew, he would start the line of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, with the father, 
the father of Israel. And that would happen to be Abraham. And so he takes Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation of Israel, and he goes, Abraham was the father of this guy, and this guy was the father of this guy, this guy was the father of this guy, and he starts tracing the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus, and he makes it all the way down to David, King David. Now, James, if you would put that on the screen for me. So we have David, you see it at the top right of this little graphic here. And then from David, that highlighted on the left, you see a highlight, that is Solomon. That was David's first surviving son from Bathsheba. There's a story. You need to go look that one up. Now, that's Solomon. And, and Matthew traces this royal line. So all of these guys were kings all the way down here. And that last one on this list, before you get to the little dotted line, that's Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim then was so bad that God cursed his bloodline. He said, Jehoiakim, it ends with you. And after Jehoiakim, none of the rest were kings there. It ended with Jehoiakim. And that bloodline was cursed. So then it goes Jehoiakim, that he, it kind of carries it over for this graphic, and then all the way down, and then that it goes Jehoiakim, his son was this, and his son was this, and his son was this. It goes all the way down to that last highlighted name, and that name is Joseph. Do you remember the story of Jesus? His mother is Mary, and his father is Joseph. That's his dad. That's his dad. But, but... Joseph is part of the blood curse. And there's a problem. Joseph is part of the blood curse. And Jesus, the Messiah, was said, is going to sit and rule as king over Israel and ultimately over the world. But Joseph is part of the curse. So we have, you see the problem. Now, Luke gives us another genealogy, all right? Hang on just a moment, James, and we'll go to the next slide. I'll call for it in just a moment. The next genealogy we find is in Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician, uh, and so he was very interested in the human side of life because he's a doctor. He was into doctoring, and so he mostly doctored humans. And he was into the human thing. And so he approached Jesus as God had him write what he wrote. He approached Jesus as uh, the humanity side of Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us clearly that Jesus is God, 100% God, who put on the flesh of man. And when he put on the flesh of man, he put it on just as you have now. He had a beating heart. Blood was running through his body. He was also, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And Luke kind of focuses on this humanity. In fact, he, call, he describes Jesus and Luke as the son of man because his emphasis is on the humanity side of Jesus. So as a good doctor might do, focusing on the humanity side here of Jesus, he goes all the way back with his genealogy and he starts with the very first man ever created who was Adam. And he starts his genealogy with Adam, and he goes from Adam all the way, you know, Adam had his son, his son, his son, and he follows it all the way from the very, that's so cool, all the way, and then he lands on Abraham. 
Now this is interesting. From Abraham then, he goes all the way to King David. Just like Matthew, Matthew started with Abraham and went to King David. Luke makes his way via Adam to Abraham, and then from Abraham to King David, Matthew and Luke, their genealogies, their family trees are identical. They're the very same. But something happens at David when you go to Luke. So if you'll give me the next graphic, James, and I know you can't read those, but I'm going to kind of describe. So there we have the house of David, and Matthew's genealogy is on the left. Matthew uses David's first son who was survived, who lived from David and Bathsheba. That's Solomon. But Luke does something different. Luke doesn't use Solomon. Luke goes to the second surviving son of David and Bathsheba, and his name is Nathan. And I know you can't read it, but that's what it says over there on the right. That's Nathan, both sons of David. But Luke uses a different son for some reason. And then from that point on, Matthew and Luke, their genealogies are completely different. Matthew goes from Solomon. Luke goes from Nathan, the brother of Solomon, the second surviving son. Interesting. He goes from Nathan and then Nathan's son and then his son and his son, his son, all the way down. And then it jumps back up here all the way down. And he stops at that last name. That last name there uh, is Mary. And right above her, that's her dad. So Luke takes the family tree from, from David to Nathan and then all the way down and ends at the father of Mary. And then he lists Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, right? This is so interesting to me. Over here, we have Matthew, who traces the family tree all the way through the cursed bloodline and goes through Jehoiakim all the way down to Joseph, the father of Jesus. And then Luke traces it from Adam all the way to through David and then through the second surviving son all the way to, to Mary's dad and then to Mary the mother of Jesus. Interesting to me. Interesting how he has Luke bypass the bloodline curse that's in the Jehoiakim side of the family. Very interesting to me. So Jesus is a Bloodline heir of King David, as it was predicted, through Mary. He is not in the bloodline. There was no blood, DNA, or genetics from Jehoiakim into the physical life of Jesus. Now, Joseph w was in the royal line. That's the line of the kings right there. That's the line of the kings. Jesus needs to be in the line of the kings. But he can't have the blood of the line of the kings because it's been cursed. 
Hmm. Here's how that works. Jesus gets the bloodline from Mary. He gets the kingship line from Joseph. But no bloodline from Joseph because that bloodline is cursed. Look how much care God took to orchestrate this masterpiece of seeing the line of Judah, the line of David, into the coming king, Jesus. I just find this so fascinating. Why did there have to be a virgin birth? Because Jesus could not have the blood line of Joseph running through his body because it was cursed. So he gets the bloodline from David through another part of the family down to Mary. Wow. That's amazing to me. But you know what he gets from Joseph? Because Joseph was the legal father of Jesus, not the blood father, the legal father, which you know what that means? Joseph could pass on to Jesus his titles and the line of royalty because he was the legal father of Jesus, even though he wasn't the blood father. Look how God orchestrated that. Is that not cool? That is so cool to me. Now, if you've been paying attention, you may have a question about this. So let me just put it out there for you. Maybe you say this, wait a minute, Harley, wait a minute, Harley. I thought you said in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that the bloodlines and, and inheritance and property and titles, all of those things only passed from the father to the son but here in Luke, it somehow changes and passes from Mary, the mother, from the father to the daughter, from the daughter to the son. That's not the way it worked, Harley. That's something is fishy about this because that's not the way it worked in the Old Testament and New Testament times. It looks like somebody's doing some wrangling to make that work out. And I would say to you, busted. I mean, great question. Uh, you've been paying attention and you are very sharp for asking that question. And no wonder the evil one must have celebrated and been super excited about ruining God's plan about the Messiah, because no way could a Jew, if, and no way could Jesus be born from a cursed bloodline, and no way could Jesus have the blessing of this family line through his mother, because she was, as we know, a girl. So, God knew this would be a dilemma. So, way back in the Old Testament, 
way back in the Old Testament, way back to the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, all of those five books written by Moses, they're also called the books of Moses, we have this weird, random, obscure story deep inside of the Old Testament that makes, to us, makes no sense why God would take up such important space in the Bible for this seemingly random story. Here is this random historical event tucked into Scripture for no apparent reason. Let me tell you about it. You find it in the book of, in the book of Numbers, which was written by Moses. So obviously, if he wrote it, Moses is still alive when this thing goes on. Let me give you the context of where this story takes place. The nation of Israel, Moses helped free them from the Egyptians, and they leave... And God sends them towards the promised land. They act naughty. And God says, wait, you're not going to get to go into the promised land then just yet. You're going to wander around this desert for 40 years until everyone who's alive now, except these two guys, they will go into the promised land. You guys are going to camp for 40 years. And that's what happened. Moses is still alive. This is toward the end of that 40 years. Not quite the end, but very close to the end of that 40 years. They have been camping, tenting, all through this wilderness, waiting to get into the promised land. They knew that one day they would be in the promised land. Once they're there, they will have their own land. Not just for the nation, but they would divide it up between all the tribes. Every tribe would have a section of land. And within that section of land, every single family would get land for their own that would be theirs to farm or to raise sheep or have a ranch, whatever. They would get to have their land. They knew that was coming. And there was, there was this, uh, this one family, Zelophehad, and so we're just going to call him Z name's much too long. Z. Z had a pretty good sized family. He had five children. So the inheritance, that was going to be good. The problem was all of his children were girls. Now we value girls. We love girls. Girls are beautiful and pretty and we marry them. We're happy about that usually. And which we'll talk about that in the next series. But in this scenario, Z had five daughters, and that meant that none of his daughters would get an inheritance of land. And here's what happened. Z dies. He dies. Which means now he has five daughters, and the five daughters, once they get into the promised land, get no land. And there, so the end of the line was with Z. No more family. It's over. It's done. Na-na-na-na, say goodbye. It's over. His daughters, they're a little disturbed by this. They're disturbed. And so they, they call, they ask for a meeting with Moses and all the leaders of Israel. And they go to Moses... And they, they, they have a discussion with him. And they say, listen, Moses, why should our family name just disappear? Because our dad died. 
I mean, our, our heritage, it ends with our dad. We can't carry it on. As the law reads today, we can't carry on our family line, the name of our father. We can't do it. So they said this, Moses, will you give us, his daughters, an inheritance even though we're not sons, will you let us carry on the family name? Will you get, allow us to transfer, to receive and transfer property and the titles of the family, the name? Will you give us that permission? And amazingly, God told Moses to allow that and to make it a law. In fact, as the law was stated, if a man had no sons then he could pass on his titles and his inheritance. He could pass that all on to his daughters who could pass it on to their family. If they married somebody from the same tribe that they were in. Now this random story that makes no sense God had that detail, as he does all the details, but that, that detail as well, placed in there for a purpose. We have no idea why. Until we get to the genealogy of Jesus. So Luke takes us from David through the second surviving son of Bathsheba, Nathan, and does that little zigzag and avoids the blood curse because she has a virgin birth. Joseph is just the legal father, not the blood father. She has the virgin birth. And now we get to, G to Mary who now can pass on to Jesus because Mary, her father, had no sons. And Mary married within the tribe. Mary was part of the tribe of Judah. And Joseph was part of the tribe of Judah. She married within the tribe. And now Mary can pass on to her son the property, the titles, the line of David to Jesus. Because of these five daughters that God seemingly randomly has their story placed into Scripture, which made no sense up to this point until you get to the genealogy of Jesus, which requires this story to have happened so that Mary can pass on to Jesus the line of David. Wow. And here, Jesus, born of a virgin, of the house and lineage of David, and carrying the, the legal title from Mary, and the blood title from Mary, and the legal title from Joseph. Not the blood, the legal title from Joseph. We see yet another example that every detail in the Torah, in the whole Bible, every detail is there for a reason. 
And if you look at those details, even the ones you don't yet understand and I don't yet understand, somehow those details point toward Jesus. And as it was prophesied in Psalm 40, verse 7, as if this were Jesus speaking himself, it says, Then I say, look, I come. What is written in the scroll points, pertains to me. Jesus says. Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Oh, there are many, many theological reasons why. But there's one powerful reason that we share today, and that is God had to avoid the bloodline curse placed on Jehoiakim so the Messiah could not have Jehoiakim's blood, his DNA, running through his body. So the inheritance of David passes to Jesus through Mary's blood because that law that the five sisters brought to Moses and God enacted centuries before would allow Jesus to have what he needed to fulfill the prophecies just as God knew they would happen. And Jesus gets the inheritance from Joseph's side too because Joseph is the legal father of Jesus. And he gets it from Joseph legally. He gets it from Mary by blood. And wow, the scarlet thread continues. Orchestrated by God himself, planned by and prepared by God himself. Do you see? <laughs> Do you see what care God went to to make this happen? To meet all the prophecies that he gave us and to see that it all came about, that the scarlet thread was there, created by, planned by, orchestrated by God. Why? Why would God do that? And here's the reason. John 3, 16, it'll be on the screen in the amplified version. It says, Here, here's why. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world, and that's you and that's me, so greatly loved you and dearly prized you that he even gave up his only begotten gotten unique son so that whoever believes in whoever trusts in whoever clings to whoever relies on him shall not perish shall not come to destruction shall not be lost but have eternal everlasting life that's why God went to the great extreme care to put every detail in there and to make it work that's why. And guess what? He did it all according to his timing. He knew when and where and why and how. And he made it happen according to his timing. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says this. When we were utterly helpless, and we were, I was too, and so were you. When we could not do this on our own, when we could not make it right, when we could not fix it, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. God's time. He picked the time. And you know the Bible tells us the exact day, hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus, he tells us the exact day that Jesus would present himself to the world as Messiah. It's in the book of Daniel, and it tells us when that'll happen. We talked about it in December. His timing, his plan, and he made it happen just at the right time, and he died for us sinners. At the right time, 
it all happened just the way God planned it. And in just the right way, it all happened just the way God planned it. So we're simply asking you this today. Will, will you submit your life to Jesus? And here's how that works. You simply admit to God, God, yes, Jesus did come. He's, he's God himself, just as the Bible says. And he put on the flesh of man and he came to this earth to live as a sacrifice so he could live sinless and go to the cross and die for me. And three days later after he died, he rose again, just like he predicted, just like history tells us. And because he died, that means his blood paid a price that I couldn't pay. And you know what that price, that blood price of Jesus purchased? It purchased me. And so I simply, as a result of what Jesus did, I say, Jesus, your death bought this life, and I give it to you. I submit it to you. It is yours. If you've never done that before, I'm asking, will you do that today? And will you let us know about it? Will you admit to God, God, yes, Jesus came here to live the perfect life, the sinless life, and to die on the cross for me. And three days later, he rose again. And when he died, he purchased this life. And so I give it to you. If you've never done that, will you say that right now to him? And if you do, on the back of your connection card, there's a place for you to mark that says, I'm becoming a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus for the first time. For real, I'm becoming one. There's a place to mark that. Will you mark that today and let me know? Now, this next step is for all of us. Will you also get into God's word, get to know this Jesus who died for you? Will you get to know him? And here's just what we're suggesting. Will you this week read the next seven chapters in the book of John? If you weren't here last week, then just start with the first. Last week we said, will you do seven chapters? One a day, just one chapter a day. And this week, will you do one chapter a day and keep that going? Just start wherever you are. If you weren't here last week, just start with chapter 1. If you are here last week, then start with chapter 8. One chapter a day. Will you get to know this Jesus who died for you? Let's pray. God, you told us. You told us that your Messiah would be born from a virgin. And then, God, you orchestrated all of that for us. You did all of that for us because you love us. For you so greatly and dearly prized us that you gave up your only son, your unique son, so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, but shall, shall have eternal life, which is everlasting with you. And God, you did all of that in your timing. When we were utterly helpless, you came at just the right time to die for us sinners. And we are so grateful. And we celebrate you right now, Jesus, our Messiah. We celebrate you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.